heard from Paul as he instructs Timothy on how to run the church, saying, okay, well, what application can we take out of this for our church? So we looked at chapter 1. Paul greets Timothy, and he charges Timothy to protect the church's doctrine and devotion. And that was mostly the large part of chapter 1. Chapter 2, we see the very first instruction in the book. And the first instruction is to pray for all people without distinction. Okay? So first of all, I urge that supplication, prayer, and intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. Then he clarifies for kings, all who are in high positions, etc. So it's not necessarily all people by name, but all people without distinction. Okay? So we kind of left off halfway through a sentence in verse 3. So now we're going to finish verses 4 through 7. We're going to pick back up. And what we're going to see this week, we looked at different aspects of prayer last week. Now we're going to look at the God of our devoted prayer and why that's important. Okay? So follow along with me. I'm going to read our passage here starting in verse 4. I'm going to back it up to verse 3 because that starts the sentence. This is good, talking about this prayer for all people, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now here's where our passage begins. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, would you please illuminate your word to us tonight? Use it to convict us and to pierce our hearts with your truth, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to the praise and honor of God the Father. We love you. It's in Christ I pray. Amen. So it starts, to give you kind of the context, verse 4, because verse 4 starts, who desires? So who is the who we're talking about? Go back to verse 3. This is good, this praying for all without distinction, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires. Okay? So we looked at last week why prayer pleases God. We looked at God's aseity, this he is self-sufficient, self-satisfying. He doesn't need anything else to be happy. He can be happy and completely content on his own for eternity, but out of the abundance of his grace, he creates us, he gives us life. That's a great thing. So for something to please that kind of God, it must be incredible. But what we didn't answer last week is, why is it good that this type of prayer pleases God? Or more specifically, what pleases God? It's one thing to be self-satisfying and not need anything to be satisfied. But you can have something that is self-satisfied and evil. Is that the God we serve? So we have to look at the God that we pray to in order to better understand our prayers and for our prayers to be pleasing to God. We need to know what kind of God is it that we're praying to. It matters what kind of God we are praying to because when we pray, we are aligning ourselves with the God that we pray to. We're saying, God, I want to direct to you what pleases you. I want to pour forth those things to you because it's a reflection of who you are. And that's what we're going to see here. This is good, this praying for all without distinction, and it pleases God who, verse 4, what is this God like? He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
So God, our Savior, verse 3, desires for all people to be saved. This should bring up some very serious questions. I've got a student from a previous youth group right now that um, on Facebook recently, he's been talking with another student from that same youth group. One of them went to seminary. He's in seminary right now. The other one did not go into seminary, though I think he could have, sharp guy. He went into the medical field. And they are on Facebook having this public conversation in front of people. The one that is in the medical field uh, is buying into what's called universalism. Okay? So universalism is this idea that everyone will be saved. No one will go to hell. God's love is so good and so widespread that not a single person will go to hell. That's how loving God is. So this is what this student is buying into. So my, my student that went to seminary, he obviously is not a universalist. <laughs> Praise God. And so they're having this conversation online. And this is one of these passages that comes up in this conversation. We'll look at the scripture right here. God desires that all people would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So if all people are not saved and they don't all come to a knowledge of the truth, then God's desires are not fulfilled. Why would an all-powerful God not do what he wants to do? Is he not powerful enough? Is it not according to his plan? He didn't foresee what we were going to do? This brings up serious questions. This verse says that God desires for all people to be saved. And if all people are not really saved... Is God's word lying to us? The key to really understanding this verse is the phrase, all people. What does it mean that he wants all people to be saved? There's two ways, at least, that you can understand the word all or all people. One type of all means without exception. All without exception. Let me give you an example. My wife gives me a grocery list. Garrett, I need you to go to Walmart and get all the items on this list. I go into Walmart, I get everything on the list, I come back home, she's going through putting things away, she notices I I didn't get the milk, I didn't get the bread, okay? Whenever she says all, did you get all the items on the list? Yes, where's the bread? Okay, that's the one exception. (laughs) Then I didn't get all the items on the list. There was an exception. All without exception means every single item on the list needs to be in the cart, okay? That's the first type of all. But there's another way that we use all and that all is used in scripture. This other type of all is all without distinction. So if my wife asked me to grab crayons for the kids, we're going to go eat in a restaurant. They have a little coloring thing. We want some colors. Hey, Garrett, be sure you grab all the crayons. Okay. So I go, we have a, I don't know, parents in here, if you can testify to this, a ginormous tub of crayons. We have to have every color known to man in this tub. If I go and grab this tub of crayons and lug it over my shoulder and start walking out the door to go to the restaurant, she's going to say, Garrett, what are you doing? Well, I grabbed all the crayons. I meant like all the main colors. I need a red, an orange, a yet. She doesn't want reddish, orangish, purplish, bluish, green. Like that. That's not what she's talking about. This is all without distinction, Okay. Now, this phrase should sound familiar because this is exactly what we looked at last week when God says in verse 1 here, I urge that supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. There it is. And he clarifies. Here's what I mean. 
Not just the people that you would normally pray for, but also pray for those rulers or those kings that are persecuting you. This prayer for all people without distinction. Make no distinction. Show no favoritism. So based on the context of this, I think that the best way to interpret this is to say that God desires all people without distinction to be saved. And I think that this actually happens as well. Revelation 7, uh, verses 9 through 10. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So there's this picture of people from every tribe, tongue, nation. And all of these people are gathered around singing praises to God. This is a picture of all without distinction. This isn't just the Jews who are going to be in heaven. This isn't just the certain people group, and it's exclusive to that people group. It is open to all, but not all will accept So God desires for this to be available to everybody. Therefore, when you pray for people, pray for everyone. Why? Because our God desires for everyone to be saved. That's the whole point of this passage here in 1 Timothy. People try to use this verse sometimes. People try to use this verse sometimes to say, Okay, well, look, this is evidence that, you know, man has free will, and because of man's free will, you know, God desires that everyone be saved, but then he also desires free will, and so there's two levels of God's will that that is adding something to this text that it's not intending to talk about. Paul is intending this text to say, here's how you pray. Pray for all people. Why? Because God desires to save all people. So we pray for all people. That's the whole point of the text, okay? That's the point that he's making. I wish that we could hang out on that and spend some more time on that. If you'd like to have further conversation, come and see me, and we can spend some time talking about that. But because of our time restriction, we do have to move forward here. So we serve a God that does not show favoritism. He offers salvation to all. Therefore, we should not show favoritism when we pray. So next, Paul explains why God shows no distinction in whom he saves by looking at God's nature. Look at verse 5 with me. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It says there is one God. God doesn't just save a particular people because he's the God of all people. The reason that God shows no distinction in this all people, desiring all people to be saved, is because he's the only God. In, in these times, nations all had their own gods that they related with, and we know that they're not all real gods, they're fake. There's one true God, but in their mind, well, this is my God, and he's going to save our nation, and your God can do whatever he wants, he's pathetic, our God's going to save us. And there's this kind of national identity with these different deities, 
Okay? What God is saying here is, God desires all people to be saved because in reality, there is only one God. And if that other nation is going to be saved, it's not going to be through their God. It's through the one God, period. There's a lot of people today that think that, well, I think that there's one God, but we can all have our own different understanding of God. So maybe the Christians see God this way. And then the Muslims see him this way. And we all have our different understandings. And the reason is because we're all looking at the same God from different perspectives. So at the end of the day, as long as we're all sincere, we'll all be saved. This is not what Scripture teaches us. There is one God, and this one God who desires all to be saved has done one thing. Continue to look at verse 5. There is one God, what has he done? He has sent this one mediator, one, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is one way to experience fulfillment and acceptance, and it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. A lot of people today think, you know, if my way of living makes me happy, why can't you just let me be? It's because we know they are not really going to be happy with that. They can't. They're missing something that God designed them to have, and that's God. We will not find our fulfillment in anything else under the sun. And there is one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. Why? Number one, because he is God. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man because he is God. We need God to forgive us for our sin against God. It wouldn't make sense if Jesus wasn't God to say, you're forgiven of your sin against God. You can't forgive someone on behalf of someone else. It doesn't work like that. The party that's wronged has to do the forgiving. So Jesus is God, but also Jesus is man. He represents God because he's God, and he represents us because he's a man. There's only one God-man. That's Jesus. There is no other way. Every other way is fake. Why? Because they're either not God or they're not man. You've got to have both. And that has come under attack in a lot of our evangelical circles. We cannot forfeit that truth. So there's one God. There's one mediator. That's Jesus. Verse 6. What did Jesus do? He gave himself as a ransom for all. Again, this phrase, all, I want you to pay attention to that phrase popping up over and over again. Which is the testimony given at the proper time. So following our theme of all and and trying to trace God's character, we see that God here gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus, the only mediator, died in our place. That's what a ransom is. It's a payment in our place. You deserve to die And I deserve to die. So Jesus died instead. And this isn't just a physical, this isn't just physical. Jesus' physical death is a picture for us of what he really suffered. And his greatest suffering was not physical, but spiritual. What he did on the cross is took all of God's wrath against sin on himself. 
This is something we can't see. We can't see the suffering. I can see the nails in his hands. I can see the scars, the cuts on his body. I can see those things. I see his blood. I don't see God's wrath being poured out against against sin on him. I don't see him taking our sin upon himself and then moving God's cross here to himself and saying, Okay, God, fire away. I don't see that. I need to see the physical suffering of Christ to know he suffered in my place. But that wasn't the greatest suffering. The greatest suffering was him bearing God's wrath in our place. That is what Jesus has done for us. Because we serve a just God, he can't just forgive sin by forgetting about it. It's got to be paid for. Or else it's not justice. It's injustice. So God pays for sin. He paid for it himself. He's a just God. He's a loving God. Look at this final sentence. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. So to tie all this together, it says, for this, you can insert the word reason there, for this reason. For what reason? Because there's only one God and there's one mediator between God and man. And he's died for all people without distinction Not without exception, not everyone will go to heaven, but without distinction, not just the Jews. For this reason, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. What type of preacher and apostle? A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul, a Jew, went to non-Jews because God is the God of all people. Tying all this together. Paul is modeling for us in his action what he's calling the church to do in prayer. Intercede for all people. Paul believed there's one God, and he's the God of all of these people, and he's the God of all of those people, and he's the God of all of these people, and he's the God of all of these people, and someone's not going to those people. So I'm going to go, because God called me to do that. And because God is the God of all these people, you need to pray for all of these people. That's the point of this passage. This is why we pray for all people, because this is the type of God that we serve. At the very beginning of this, I said it's important to know what kind of God we're praying to. What pleases God? What does he desire? He desires to die for sinners who turn to him. Ezekiel 33:11. If this is a verse that you are not familiar with, this is a great verse to commit to memory or at least know where to turn to when you're witnessing. As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? We serve a God of healing and restoration who would rather die himself in the place of the wicked than to destroy the wicked. Are we willing to suffer so that people who are not like us might be saved? Are we willing to drive down the street 
that our kind of people don't really drive down here so that those people might come to VBS? Are we willing to go knock on the door of someone who's not really my kind of people just to say hi? I live down the street. I wanted to meet you. Do you go to church somewhere? You should come with us. We need to get out of an our people mentality. God desires for not our people to be saved, all people without distinction. So let's pray that way. And I think more importantly, let us ask God to move our hearts that way. Because if I'm just being honest with you, my heart's tendency is to not be an all people type of person. My heart's tendency is to be a my people type of person. I want to be around my type of people. I want to be around people that think like me. It is a miracle of the Lord in our hearts that turns our hearts in that direction. We have hearts of stone is what scripture describes. And at salvation, God takes that heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. Let our prayer right now be, God, maybe I'm not praying for all people because my heart does not hurt for all people. I love it when wicked people die. I love it when wicked people get what they deserve. If that's our hearts, we desperately need a miracle in our hearts. We need to be like the Lord in saying, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Let's pray. God, I thank you that no matter how quickly we run through your word, Father, it is powerful. And it pierces and it reveals and convicts. Father, my heart is not broken enough for all people. You know that already. I don't hurt for people like you do. Because I'm not you. 